Thank you for listening to a Christ-centered message from Grace Community Church. We are committed to proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together. And we're in Philippians chapter 4, and today we're going to be looking at a few verses here as it's coming down to the end. My words cannot fully convey the joy of serving the Lord Jesus Christ here in this body of believers, in this faith family. Together over the years, we have experienced the love of God. We've experienced His grace, His mercy. We have gone through good times. We have gone through hard times. And we have had the privilege of exhorting one another in the things that matter most. This is what the writer of Hebrews said, Hebrews 3.13. He said, but exhort one another daily while it is called today. You have anything on the list that needs to get done today? Well, I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to get around to that. He said, today, this is what we do today. We don't put this off lest anyone. There's a danger for all of us. If any of us say, I will get around to doing fill in the blank, whatever it is that is most important, that our hearts would become hardened. I wonder if that's you today. Are you in danger of having a hardened heart? Are you in danger this morning of being lured into the deceitfulness of sin? Well, I can handle it. It's not that bad. Maybe just a little while longer. That was Pharaoh. Just one more night with the frogs, Moses. Just one more night. And then, and then you can pray. I wonder if that's you here today. As a body of believers, we're here to encourage one another, to exhort one another. Let's pursue the Lord. Let's worship him today in spirit and in truth. Let's do what is right today. Maybe you're here this morning and you're currently in a difficult season of life. The title of the message is Gospel Partnerships. Gospel Partnerships. This is what we will see in these verses. I want you to take heart from the Apostle Paul. I want you to be encouraged that as he's coming down to the final paragraphs in this letter to the church that he loves, he is not sunk. He's not sunken down. He's not dragging along. He's not there in prison and just moping. He's not discouraged. He's actually doing, you ever see it when they're playing football and they know they're going to score that touchdown and there's no one around them and they high step into the end zone. They, they put on an extra we got this, and, and they, they high-step all the way in, and somebody's fallen trying to tackle them at the last moment, but they have their feet up, and you can't get to them. That's how Paul is finishing this letter. He's not dragging, you know, all right, and maybe I'll see you soon. He is writing through the finish line just like he talked about earlier in his letter. He's approaching this. But he's closing out with a classic message of love and affirmation and exhortation to his gospel partners there in that outpost of a Roman colony named Philippi 2,000 years ago. And this is what he had to say. Philippians chapter 4, I want to begin reading at verse 14. 
And this picks up from where we were last week. He says, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we're just going to unpack from these few verses here, five qualities of thriving gospel partnerships. Five qualities of gospel partnerships that are thriving partnerships. First of all, we see from Paul here that gospel partnerships are, number one, shaped by Christ's kindness. And we see this in verse 14. Here, Paul is again affirming their love, and he's affirming their generosity. Paul is not a complainer. You ever been someone around someone, and they're just a complainer? They complain, 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 complain. Murmur, 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 murmur. There's nothing right. That's not the apostle Paul. He affirmed them. He loved them. He was committed to them wholeheartedly. But understand that Paul could not make them buy in. He could not open their heart in generosity, but it was good that they did. He knew that their generosity was a gracious gift from God. And as soon as they were converted, things changed in their hearts and in their lives, and actually with their giving. Immediately when they were converted, they bought in and they embraced Paul and his mission. They were infants in Christ. They were brand new converts, but they quickly became active in giving. And Paul says in there in verse 14, yet it was kind. It was kalos is the, is the Greek word. It was beautiful. It was excellent. It was good. When I think about how you gave, it was so beautiful. It was so lovely. You shared in my trouble. And so this is what we need to take from Paul. Remember the kindness of the Lord to you. Aren't we tempted to forget that? Whenever I'm complaining, I guarantee you that's my problem. I've forgotten the kindness of the Lord. And I'm thinking that somebody owes me something or the Lord owes me. The Lord has not repaid me, nor has he repaid you. Listen to me according to our, our sinfulness. He has shown all of us undeserved, unmerited mercy and grace. And we always face the risk of forgetting who God is and forgetting what he has done for us and who we are and those people that he's placed in our life. Our job is to take people to Jesus, the Jesus revealed in Scripture. And so this is what Paul is thinking. I remember, I remember of the kindness of the Lord it won't come on the screen, but do you remember we read this at the beginning of our study of Philippians, Acts 16 and verse 15, after Lydia was baptized and her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And then Paul or Luke records, she prevailed upon us. She came to faith in Christ. She followed in baptism. This is the progression. And then she said, seriously, you're coming to my house, Paul, you and all your guys. Well, that's okay. We, won't, we don't want to put you out. You, you didn't hear me right. Paul, you're coming to my house. I have a big enough house. I have plenty to supply for you. You're coming to my house. Oh, you know, thank you. No, seriously. She prevailed on us. 
you are coming to my house. And when Paul thinks back, and that was day one in the life of that church, he says, this church, I remember the kindness. So kind. It was so beautiful. And this is what the Bible says, Psalm 145, 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways. And how is he, loved ones, in all of his works? He's kind. He's kind. Romans 2, verse 4, Paul writes, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness? I mentioned this last week in the message. There are so many people that think if God doesn't deal with this, that, or the next thing and show his power and correct all injustice, then I I will not believe in this God. If there is a God, then how can this wrong thing be happening? And people misjudge God and his mercy. And Paul says, the Lord does not come down and lightning bolt us into the family of God. He shows us his kindness And he says, when we forget his kindness and we think that this life is all about me and mine and my agenda and my schedule and my bank account and my resume and my kids getting here and doing this and doing the other, whenever my world is defined by me, I'm forgetting the kindness and I am presuming on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience. And he says, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Didn't we see that in the ministry of Jesus when the children would come to him? And the disciples, get back, he's important, important stuff going on here, get the kids back. And Jesus is like, knock it off, boys. Suffer the little children to come to me. If you guys don't get this lesson, you miss it all, of such is the kingdom of heaven. Let the little ones through. Pay attention to how you serve the little ones. Paul remembers their kindness. But he doesn't just stay there and remembering. It leads us to reflect the goodness of the Lord to others. That kindness of the Lord through the Philippians reflected out. And Paul thinks back to that. And he's now reflecting the kindness and the goodness of the Lord back to them. Isn't this amazing to be in a faith family like this? Where people are kind, and then we're kind, all because it's all borrowed kindness. Like, if I show kindness to you, my account doesn't go lower. I'm just borrowing on, it, on the Lord's account, and his account is endless, limitless. We're spending his kindness, his mercy, his love, his grace, and there's an infinite supply. So Paul is here, and here he, he's in prison. But he's reflecting on the goodness of the Lord. Share the love and mercy and grace. And here's where it starts, loved ones. And listen to me clearly now. And I I would love to be able to tell you that I succeeded wonderfully in this, but I failed many times in this. It starts where we live. It starts where your address is. It doesn't start here in public settings of ministry. It starts where we live in showing the kindness of the Lord. And it extends out to where our neighborhood is, extends out to where we work, our careers, or as a student. It's it's there, and it overflows. It's not something just done for spectator sport. This is who we are. We reflect the goodness of the Lord because we can't ever graduate away from that. In Philippi, it wasn't happening as it should have been. 
So Paul is graciously, he's doing a little, you know, noggin knock here. He's getting their attention, but he's not thumping them. He's not taking a baseball bat to them. He's lovingly dealing with them as a spiritual father to them, as a shepherd. Micah 6, 8 in the Old Testament says it this way. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? Will you read this out loud with me? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. In your Bible, kindness might be translated mercy. Undeserved mercy. It's very clear. Do what is right, show mercy, show kindness, and walk in humility before the Lord. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. That's the promise of Scripture. So we're shaped by the kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the first quality of a thriving gospel partnership. We're shaped. It's rooted. It's grounded in it. And the second quality that Paul gets to here in verse 14 is we share together in trouble. We share together in trouble, in tribulation. The Philippian church was born in the middle of, they were born out of trial and adversity to the gospel. That's where Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. They were singing at midnight, Acts 16. That's how the church was born. So they were no strangers to suffering. They didn't run from trouble. They were like, and do you ever, are you ever admired by the documentaries, whether it be 9-11 or other documentaries, where d- danger is happening and first responders run to danger? They go into the flames. They go into the fire. They go where the danger is because they are surrendered to that. That's why they're there. This is what it is for believers. This is what has been down through the centuries when people are fleeing and afraid for their lives and running from the plague and Christians open their homes and go in and minister to people. Because we realize there's something worse than dying and that's dying without a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ and that does not come through religion. Here's what I have done. Here's what has been done to me. Here's what I don't do. And I hope that that weighs out. And I hope I have more good than bad on the day of judgment and the Lord will let me in. No, 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 no. Wages of sin is death. Hell. There's hell to pay. It's all God's grace that saved us or will save you today. And Paul says it was kind of you to share in my trouble. This is true fellowship. The word here for share, it's an important word. It's, it's building on the root word of fellowship. Koinonia is the root word. It's the have all things in common. And then he adds a, a preface to it, soon koinoneo, and it means to have all fellowship together, to have everything, to become partakers together. We get the idea even of communion. We commune with one another. That we're like-minded, we're in agreement, in agreement upon the fundamental ba- basics. And this is what God graciously delivers through a church in small groups. We worship, we walk, we work together. 
our five distinctives. Are we truly like-minded? Do we, do we share the same values that we have Christ-centered preaching right at the heart of everything we do, that every ministry, camp tomorrow, VBS, small groups, mowing grass, serving funeral luncheons, whatever it is that we do, if it's cleaning, if it's preparing coffee, everything that we do, it flows out of the ministry of the pulpit, the word of God washing over the people of God as we proclaim the authority of the word of God. And this is becoming unpopular, but we will do it without apology. And there are many denominations and there are many pastors and there are many groups that are saying it's getting a little hot in the furnace and we're going to go where it's cooler and we'll tone down the message and we'll henpeck a few you know select a few verses out and we'll stay away from the difficult passages oh no that is not honoring to the lord passionate worship that we lift high the name of jesus christ in spirit and in truth they were fervent prayer that we believe in the power of god and so we are devoted to praying boldly without ceasing Courageous evangelism, love the time that we spent together the last two Wednesday nights to just sharpen our skills, to pray together, to go through the scriptures, the fundamental scriptures, so that we may boldly share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of this is part of disciple making that's purposeful. It's not, well, we'll get around to it if we can. This is all of ministry flowing from the ministry of the pulpit all the way out through every aspect of the church. Why are we here? Go make disciples. Baptize and teach them to obey, to observe all things I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you. How long is Jesus with us? Always, even to the end of the age. This is true fellowship. This is total partnership. And that's what Paul is describing here. The fellowship that he had with them, it was genuine, it was true, it was authentic, it was real, but it was complete, it was total partnership. Paul described his highs and lows, and we looked at that last week. These are faithful friends that Paul is writing to. They're loyal, they're not fair weather friends. You got, you got any of the fair weather friends? Hey, we're buddies, we're buddies. Oh, look who showed up. See you later. <laughs> okay, that was awkward. Oh, you're having a little down, you know, little downtime in your life? Hey, call me when things get better. <laughs> you know? That's like the 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 son went into the far country and everybody was around him as long as he had money. Luke 15. But when he spent it all, he found himself in the pig pen. And the pigs were not even that willing to share with him. And he said, how much? My, in my father's house, there's bread. There's bread enough for the servants. And this man, my father treats his servants better than this man treats his sons. I'm going to my father. This is a total, complete partnership. They shared in his trouble. That word is thlipsis in Greek. Thlipsis. It's affliction. It's tribulation. It's pressure. This church had its struggles, but they didn't run from, from Paul. They didn't turn their back on him. He was their spiritual father in the faith. He was their shepherd. And there were a lot of other people who did turn on Paul. 
And I will tell you, this is perhaps one of the heaviest burdens there is in ministry for all who are in full-time ministry. It's sharing life together. It's shepherding people only to look around and either see friendly fire pointing at you or to see the, we're out of here. And often with no explanation, just disappear and show up in another church and disappear and show up in another church and church hop, church hop, church hop and completely twist what it is to live in total, true partnership and fellowship. Paul experienced this. 2 Timothy 1.15, he said, hey, Timothy, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. They bailed on me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. Somebody text Josh now and let him know. There's a couple options for the names if they haven't come up with that yet. No, don't use those names. Scratch that. Here's another name not to use, 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Paul understood what it was to be deserted, to be abandoned, to be left high and dry. But that's not this church in Philippi. It's important that when it comes to mission, when it comes to partnerships, that we're either praying, we're giving, or we're going. But it's not enough to just be praying. But that we also are giving. I read somewhere, even this week, that one old preacher said, if we're not giving, we're not a partner. Harrison, when I was there in 2015, he stood at the edge of the mouth of a well that he had dug. And I'm looking over the edge. I mean, it was a long way down. And he used the analogy, as we, as we think about this, this total partnership. He said, I went down in the well, but I needed someone on the top holding the rope. If I, otherwise, he would have been dead down in the bottom of the well with who knows whatever animals. There are a lot of animals, wild animals, you know, around that place where they live. And he said, this is how it is. I'm here. Our family is here in Zambia, and you're back there in the States, and you're holding the rope for us. And if you let go of the rope, we're out here on our own. We need you, and you can't be here, so you need us. This is what it is to be in a total partnership. Paul knew the value of thriving in gospel partnerships. He explained this to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 13. We hear this often at weddings. We'll probably be hearing in the next few weeks. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love, and, and you really can take Christ and substitute his name over love in these. Verse 7, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure, endures all things. Verse 8, Christ never fails. Love never ends. Oh, may the Lord help us to grow in love as we share in trouble together. Number three, step out in faith. 
that we would step out in faith. They had immediate gospel mission buy-in. We've already talked about that this morning. Acts 16, Paul's in jail. I mean, they just, they just bought in immediately to this guy. They were on mission. What does this look like for believers to live their lives on mission? And you Philippians, verse 15, yourselves. Uh, and listen to the, the prepositions here, or these personal pronouns, rather. And you Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. You, you hear them getting their attention. You, yourselves, you only. This is unusual what you did. For this church to be on mission, for believers to be on mission, it looks like this. There's a willingness to engage immediately. That's what it is to step out in faith. There's a willingness to engage immediately. There are so many people that, well, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting. That's presumptuous. There's a time to do diligent search, diligent prayer, vet it out, but we can waste our lives waiting on everything to li- That's just disobedience. It's just excuses, not reasons. This church, they engaged immediately. And when Paul sat there in prison and he walked his mind back to that event, a, a smile must have come over his face when he thought about these people. I cannot believe how, how quickly they bought in. Would you do that? You like when people show up at your house? Hey, you know, listen, I got something to tell you, something you really need. You've never met me in your life. You don't know about this product, but I have it and you need it. Hey, get the checkbook. You need some, here's some credit cards. Open up all the accounts and and sign me up. How many people say that? Anybody selling is like, I'm sorry, what was that address? I need to get there today. Paul came to town, this stranger preached the gospel and was thrown in prison, and they all said, bring out, you know, bring out the books. We're partnering with this guy. What do you need? Here, take it. And he left that town amazed at the grace and the goodness of God. These people, they, they engaged immediately. Around you, you have our mission partners. You have our mission partners. And I just want to highlight, as you look at these partnerships, When I came back from Cleveland, and that's where I met Isaac Shaw in 2008, I was so moved by what he was sharing about what God was doing through that work in North India. I came back and we were partnered with him in about two months, if that. And if you look, Nicole put all this together to say, here's how long we've been partnered with our partners. Since 2008, we've been partnered with the Shaws. This church has been partnered with Michelle Banda since 04. And then when they married, there were some churches that parted ways with them. Not this church. We welcome them. Isn't that a sad thing? That a black man, white woman, and there were churches that said, no, we're not partnering with you anymore. Not this church. 
we love you. We are thankful for you. Of course we will partner with you and stay partnered with you. You're doing the work of God. And as you look at these partners, and we've had recently the Barons, I think are our newest, even Corey Fifield when he was here, and he said, why wouldn't you invest into the work of God? It's the only guaranteed investment we have in our lives. There's no other guarantee like the gospel, the work of the gospel. And Paul comes to town, and he preaches, and they come to faith in Christ. Oh, I pray that we would become even more like this. 2 Corinthians 6.11. Listen to how Paul treated people. This wasn't just the Philippians. This is everywhere he went. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. This is just the way we live. It's just wide open. What you see is what you get. Listen to what he wrote to the Thessalonians. Chapter 2, 1 Thessalonians 2, and I'm just going to read verse 8. If you jot it down on the side, 1 Thessalonians 2, that whole passage provides the, the panoramic view of Paul's normal manner of ministry. And this is what he said, 1 Thessalonians 2, 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. That was everywhere Paul went. 1 John 3.16, by this we know love, read it with me, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's all rooted and grounded in what he has done for us. Are we loving like this? You know, you had me fill the pulpit 2006. I think I was your pastor about a week later, or not a week later, a month later. I mean, it, it's the same thing. Like, y- you open your arms wide. And we've been pressing forward into how do, we, how do we make disciples here to the other side of this earth until Jesus returns and we're not alone. I love this church. I love what God has done, what he is doing, and I have such expectation, we all do, of what he will do in the future. So willingness to engage, they had it. And then there's something that, you know, there's a lot of people that start well. Oh yeah, count me in, I'm there, I'm there. Hey, where's the I'm there guy? Oh, he couldn't make it. (laughs) You know, that was last year. And this year, ooh, a tough year. It's perseverance. Willingness is wonderful, and they were willing, but they persevered. Perseverance to remain steadfastly. So even when no one else partnered with Paul, there they were, and they were giving, and they were receiving. That's what partnership is. He's making the point that they gave to him, they invested into the work, and there were receipts given to them. That they shared back, here's what we have done. Even this month, the bandas, we're, we're focusing on them. And so we are praying, we give to them. Uh, you helped and you provide electricity. Then thieves came, stole a bunch of it out. Okay, it's a giving and there's an accountability that comes back. It's not just money disappearing into thin air. He said giving and receiving, that's what a partnership is. That's what a healthy relationship consists of. It's not deception, It's not keeping things private from a partner. We know what's going on, and there's giving, and there's receiving. 
This is the work of the gospel, and it's the greatest investment ever known. They stayed faithful. You think about that. This list of names, does it matter as we stay connected and committed faithfully? It does to them. They tell these partners when they come and visit often, they come looking for familiar faces. They want to see that. They want to see those, those people. I love them, and I want to see them when I get back. And they love to see people who are new that have come to faith in Christ. And they love to hear those stories of what God is doing as he's growing his church and building his church around the world. The fourth quality is to send help to meet the need. To send help to meet the need. Even in Thessalonica, verse 14, you sent me help for my needs once and again, again and again. Help was on the way. They heard about the great need. Oh, Paul's got a need. And when Paul left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, that's in Acts 17, and there he suffered. And they heard about his suffering, and they responded, and they moved into action. Their love was real friendship. It was very valuable to the apostle and to the work of the gospel. Don't we all need friends like this? It made me think of James Taylor singing Carol, Carol King's song. You just call out my name. And you know wherever I am, I'll come running. See you again, winter, spring, summer, or fall. All you have to do is call, and I'll be there. You've got a friend. And then he has the verse, she has the verse, and he sings it. Now, ain't it good to know that you've got a friend when people can be so cold? They'll hurt you, yes, and desert you, and take your soul if you let them. Oh, but don't let them. You just call out my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. Now, here's the deal. James Taylor ain't coming if you call out his name. <laughs> Carol King, not coming if you call out her name. But Jesus, and someone said this, he's the greatest friend. And wherever we are, he's there. And there's a friend, the Bible says, that sticks closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. And I'm wondering, do you know him? Do you know him like that? Because it's not that he will come running. He already came 2,000 years ago. And he stepped into humanity and he took our flesh upon him, born of a virgin, and he lived the sinless life that you and I could never live. And he died the death that you and I deserve to die. And he was crucified, buried, and then he rose the third day and he was seen by many witnesses and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and he is coming again. He has done everything, everything, everything to make possible your salvation. He might be calling you right now. Okay? Somebody's getting called. Answer that. Maybe it's the baby is here. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, loved ones, God's love is not limited. Aren't you thankful for that? My love, it just hits limits too quickly, you know? Not God's love. And we see this in Paul. I just, I just love this guy. I cannot wait, you know? Maybe I can pull a pastor card in heaven, like, before you get to talk to him, I want to talk to him. You know, I was a pastor. I don't think he'll buy it, but God's love is not limited his love meets the real need that we need across time. 
He reaches across any distance. He has every capability, all ability to meet you where you are right now. Demolish the lie that you have to get everything together. You've got to perfect yourself. You've got to get good. And then the Lord will receive you. It doesn't work that way. He will meet you where you are. And he will take your sin and your shame. This is what is called the great exchange. In exchange for your sin and your shame that you deserve hell for just like me, he will give you his righteousness, his mercy, his grace, and life that never ends because he paid for it. It's not cheap, but it's free. It's the gift. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still, what was our condition? Sinners, messed up, on the road to hell. He died for us. Christ died for us. Religion says you work yourself out. You work out your sins. You work out your righteousness. Salvation in the scriptures is Christ died for us. And he adopts us, he redeems us, he cleanses us by his blood. He gives us a new name and we're joint heirs with Christ. And then everything changes not to earn salvation, to earn eternal life, but to live out what we've already been given. It's a reality. And so this church, they delivered. They heard about the need, but then they backed it up and they delivered as much help as possible to meet the need. They responded repeatedly to his needs. They heard about his need, but they delivered. They came through. You know anybody like that? They come through. You can count on them, and they'll do as much good as they can possibly do to meet the genuine need. Now, we can't meet all the need. Isaac Shaw and that ministry cannot meet all of the need in India. 1.4 billion people. And he was even telling us, you know, a third of that nation lives below a dollar a day. They don't have the resources to meet the physical need for 300 million people. The next 300 million people are below the poverty line. So they have to meet the deepest need, which is the need of the heart to be owned by Christ. And they do that by also helping meet physical needs to make a difference in as many places, in as many people's lives as, lives as possible. Oh, the church responded repeatedly. When, when Jesus has an issue with the church in Ephesus, in Revelation 2, he says, you've lost your first love. And then Jesus says in Revelation 2.5, here's the way back. And this is really what Paul is saying to the Philippian church that I know your first love. I know how you love me from the first. But there's trouble and, and your hearts are growing cold. And Jesus says to this church in Revelation 2.5, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Remember where you were. Remember when you first came to Christ, the joy that was in your life, that you, you just, there was, you just wanted to do everything to serve the Lord. You remember that? And it wasn't because you had to. It was because you wanted to. You wanted to tell people about Jesus. You wanted to serve in the church. You couldn't wait to be a church. You remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Well, my heart has grown cold. He hasn't grown distance. I have. Here's what Jesus says to the church. Here's the way back. Repent. 
and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Oh, repent, repent, repent. Remember, repent, and return. Do you know that's always the way for us? In all of life, wherever we are, remember the Lord, remember his kindness, remember his word, remember what he did for me, and repent of sin and return and go back and do what I did from a heart, not because I have to, but a heart that's filled and overflowing with love. That's this church. And don't you hear how gracious Paul is being with them? You don't get a sense that he's standing on a bully pulpit, do you? He's not angry with them. He's not guilt-tripping them. He's not shaming them. He's saying, when I think about you, you are the only ones with me. Last week we saw that he was saying, it wasn't that you lacked love for me, you lacked an opportunity. He just covered their faults with kindness. But he needs for them to re-engage in the work. And they're not going to do it as long as they can't forgive each other and they don't like each other. When people start not liking each other in a church, what happens to the offerings? What happens to the prayer times together for the mission partners and the lost? It gets forgotten. So Paul is saying, hey, Philippians, come on back. Look at your calendars. Look at your checkbooks. Take account, take inventory. Let's get first things first again. Let's do the right thing, the right way at the right time. And this is what he grounds it all in, in verse 17. These thriving gospel partnerships are selfless, selfless and eternally rewarding. Paul was used by God for them and they were allowing God to use them for Paul and for the work of the gospel. They were committed from the, the first moments of their walk with Christ to the glorious mission of spreading the gospel and planting churches everywhere. Paul says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. Now, as a pastor of a church, the number one thing isn't your money and you give your gift and you serve and you, 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 and you need to do better and you serve. And No. Not that I seek the gift. Someone who truly loves his own family and the family of God. This is Paul. He says, I am seeking after something though. There is something I want. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This is, this is selfless. He's not writing them and, oh, I just don't like you, you know, you haven't given enough lately and now you're, you know. No, that's not it. Paul's saying you're missing out on a blessing and I don't want that for you. I don't want my children to miss out and just, you know, income comes in, income, and they miss out. And I don't know, my dad gives. I want them to know the blessing of giving to the Lord. Their time, their talents, their treasures, their lives. I can't do that for them. And the encouragement that comes just moment by moment and week by week that my family love the Lord, 
love his church, that's you, not, not the building, you, that you love us, and this partnership that the Lord has graciously allowed us to have for 17 years through the ups and downs and the good times and the hard times and the people, uh, even this last week, uh, we were just talking yesterday, Marlene had a video. And back in the back was Richard singing, Blessed Be Your Name. Right in front of Richard was Dan Malicki. Right in front of... Uh, Louis Fisher. And there, there was one other individual. Tom Caputo was up here playing. Those four... There you are, Marlene. I would have just asked you. Those four individuals are in the presence of the Lord. We've gone through some really good times and we have gone through some really hard times, but that's what it is to be in the family of God and it's all going somewhere. First of all, we have to die to self and that's what we see in Paul. It's the call that Jesus gave, the call to di discipleship, it's extreme. But this is what the gospel demands of us. If you're here and... and you are just investigating. You're searching. Who is Jesus? What is Christianity? What do I believe? What, what happens after we die? And, and what is this life all about? Maybe that's you. And you're just asking the right questions. Like I said at the beginning, maybe you're in a very difficult season of your life right now and you're wondering which way to go. What do I do? I'm glad you're here today. God absolutely has a plan. And this is number one, you have to die to you. You can't be king of the world. That's Jesus. And he has a place in his kingdom for you. This is what Jesus said. He declared his terms, all right? No, no fine print. No, uh, on the back of page 732, the fine print that the asterisk was up on page three. That's not Jesus. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, okay, it's wide open. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let's take up your death and follow me. For whoever would save his life will, what will happen if you try to save your life? You'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, what will happen? You'll find it. Then he asked this question for the accountants and for everyone else. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? and they just lose one thing, your soul. You had a successful family, successful career, you made plenty of money, you helped people, you did this, you did that, wonderful life, but you just didn't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. You gained the whole world and forfeits his soul, and Jesus asked this most probing question, what will a man give in return for his soul? What is your soul worth? Applause of people? Momentary fame? Ease, comfort? What is the value of your soul? Are you ready? Have you died to yourself? And if you have, then we are called to live for Christ. It's the only life that isn't wasted. Die to self. Live for Christ.
When a sinner repents, that is, they turn from their sin, it's a 180-degree turn, trusts in Christ alone for salvation, everything changes. Jesus changes everything. Jesus taught this, die to self, live for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.15, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and for their sake was raised. That Jesus lives. He's alive. And he died for me. I will live for him. And Jesus said it this way, Matthew 6.20, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. That's what happens when you give to take care of the local ministry, when you give to the, the building project, when you give to missions, when you give to the, the camp, the kids going to camp tomorrow, and you help kids going. You're, you're investing. That's the place that you and I keep our resources. Anything done for Christ and through Christ, that will be eternally rewarding. In heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. I'm, I'm watching that rust. Try to, it's taking over my car. I see it. I, I walk by and I'm like, uh-oh, I see it right there. It's creeping out on this bumper. Oh, there it is. It's coming. It's coming for the vehicle. It's going for it. Not what I put into the Lord's hands. Die to self, live for Christ, and minister to others. The Lord does not have to use us, loved ones, but he sure does want to use us. Paul wanted the Philippians to have the greatest return on their investment. We're here for the glory of God. That's why we're here, for the good of the nations. John MacArthur says it this way. He said, their gift brought Paul joy, not because of its personal material benefit to him, but because of its spiritual benefit to them. You catch that? It wasn't because, oh, that was, I needed, you met my need. Wonderful, thank you. But ultimately, it's a reflection of their heart and their surrender to the Lord. Look, look at our purpose statement. It'll come on the screen. We exist to glorify God. We exist to glorify God. How do we do this? Reach people for Jesus Christ, connect them with other believers, equip them to grow in their faith. And where does that all end up? Not in sitting. Not in the, the sitting, soaking, souring. All right, if you just sit there, you get stagnant. Nobody, that pond, water not moving, not pretty. You don't want to drink from it, especially after the ducks move through it, right? Stay out of there. We want to be a flowing stream, blessing others. And how are we going to do it? Serving, serving the Lord, serving one another. And why would we do this? Ultimately, we can look right beyond Paul and we can look to the Son of God. And this is what it says in Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what, loved ones? Serve. How much would he serve? And to give his life a ransom for many. So on our shirts this year for Vacation Bible School, for all those who are members and you're registered to serve or you want to register to serve, you've been through our training uh, that we take everybody through that works with our children, our shirts are this year, they say, called to serve. This is gospel partnership here and it's around the world and there's no greater joy than to live life connected serving. So we just have to take this list and we just look, are we shaped by the kindness of Christ? Am I sharing with others in trouble or just in the good times? Am I stepping out in faith 
Am I sending help to meet the need or am I only helping out my own self and my own budget, my own wants and desires, and I'm so maxed out with all my own personal spending? There's nothing left to give to God and there's nothing left to share with others because I'm not content. Step out in faith, send help to meet the need and be selfless. That is eternally rewarding. So will you ask that question? What's your next step? What's your next step to increase your support as a gospel partner? It comes down, and you say, well, you know, we have folks on very limited income, and it's always blessed me in all of ministry when I know that a widow comes in, and they see a need for camp, or they see a need, and they give $10, and I know that that was a big gift for them. They have part in the work of God. It's not about how much you give. It's about your heart that's moved to give by God, and it's only as he sees, and we give to him. And if a child gives a quarter to the building, they can definitely stand down there one day and say, I'll build this, because they had a part in it. They give a dollar. They have part in the work of God. That's how it works. That's how it works in God's economy, in his kingdom, and all the glory and all the praise belong to God. Have you given your life to him? Have you surrendered your life to him? If not, maybe today's the day. Have you followed through the waters of baptism to tell everybody, I belong to the King of kings and Lord of lords? If not, we're gonna be baptizing soon. And how can we grow as partners? Lord, help us to grow in every way. Let's stand together. Oh, Father, we want to glorify you, whether therefore we eat or drink or whatever we do, May we do all to the glory of God. And I thank you for this church. And I thank you for your word. And I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you for your spirit. You, Lord, have been so good to me. You have been so good to us. And we go through the times of great joy. And we go through times of great difficulty. But you give us in all of this unbreakable joy. And God, I pray that these lessons will be so imprinted upon our hearts and our lives and our minds that we will live out these truths for all of our days so that Christ may receive the full reward of his suffering. So work faith and obedience in our hearts and lives even today. And we'll thank you and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Teaching from the Word at Grace Community Church. We are located in Richmond, Michigan. You can find us online at mygracechurch.com. Please subscribe and follow us at My Grace Church. It would be greatly appreciated if you would take a moment to rate, like, and share this message. We want you to always remember that you are loved.